Nope. Decorum and Hogs of War the Miniatures game. This is staying in. Dear McVitties. Yes. <laughs> I hope this email finds all of you well. <laughs> I'm sure they are well. And also, thank you. In these trying times we live in, I think many people have found comfort in your delicious range of biscuits. I know I have. <laughs> Recently, I tried to get in touch with DEFRA to ask a question about biscuit storage etiquette. <laughs> but those squares in the government never got back to me. <laughs> Taxpayers' money wasted yet again. So I thought I'd turn to you, the purveyors of what must surely be some of the finest tea time treats available, to see if you had any thoughts on my most pressing of issues. A. Should biscuits ever be kept in the fridge? This was a question from one of the listeners on the podcast that I run, and it's been eating away at me for weeks, possibly months, not knowing the answer. B. Are there any biscuits that would go against the answer to the above? Are all biscuits made equal in this regard, or is it a case-by-case issue? And finally, if you have time, C. What is the right way up to eat a chocolate digestive? Is it chocolate facing up or chocolate facing down? And if it's chocolate facing up, does that mean that regular digestives without chocolate should also be consumed this way around, i.e. branding on the bottom, played side on the top? <laughs> I sincerely hope you can help me with these matters. Also, if the research has not been done in any of the above areas, bung a packet or two my way, I'll get my lap coat on and I'll let you know the results. Yours in crumbs, Peter Willington. So, um... Just, just hang on. Can in reflection, just reading that email out because you sent all you sent us all that email. BCC us in, and I read it and thought, oh, that sounds like fun. But hearing someone read that out loud has actually really pulled into focus how bonkers you <laughs> yeah, sound. It really is. <laughs> well. Hi, Peter. Oh, my. <gasps> oh, we haven't been sent this one. <sighs> Hope you've had a fab weekend. Okay, so I've answered all of your questions to the best of my ability, and I hope you don't feel bamboozled from all the information. Oh. She's clear, clearly, clearly got a read on me uh, already. Yeah. <laughs> one. <laughs> Our biscuits suggest to be kept in a cool, dry place, which is related to your kitchen cupboards. However, it's preference, as some people would prefer them to be kept in a fridge. This may cause chocolate bloom, where the sugar rises to the top of the biscuit and causes little white spots. Completely edible, mind. <laughs> Two. All of them, as in all biscuits, are suggested the same. Cool, dry, place and to get the best out of your biscuit try to store in an airtight container to keep the goodness in now i can tell you right now i do not store my biscuits like that i'm i'm happy to i it's never an airtight container it's just full disclosure yeah, it's full disclosure well do you just leave them lying around but don't they just go soft after a while yeah that's why you gotta eat them as fast as you can uh number three <laughs> our chocolate digestives go through a reservoir of chocolate, which enrobes them from the bottom. So the chocolate is actually on the base of the biscuits and not on the top. I hope this answers everything. Thanks, Bethany. Consumer Services Coordinator, Bethany. 
Um, thank you very much for your answer, Bethany, uh, from uh, McVitie's. Uh, and other United, I think they're called, is it called United Biscuits? I think they're called, I think they're owned by, yeah, United Biscuits owns McVitie's. Got the, the Justice League of like tea time. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's them, Party Rings and Gary Baldy. <laughs> yeah, those are the founding members. So, so first of all, amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm incredible, s- incredible, uh, uh, above and beyond. I would say if Bethany was, sh- you know, showing this to around a, 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 I don't know, a supervisor or a manager or somebody mm-hmm. in a high re- or a, a, a promoting position, I would give Bethany a promotion to the top. Yeah. Can I can I say what Bethany did that was most impressive? What's that? Was remain apolitical on the situation. Yeah, completely. <laughs> she didn't fall for any of your little dangling bits of <laughs> none of that you know, low hanging Any fruit. of your hooks and yeah. lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, like, didn't, she did all that whacking on Defra. Yeah, it wasn't prepared to throw Defra tax, under the bus the on that one. No, no, good. So yeah, big government. <laughs> she just completely yeah. remained apolitical, like a biscuit should be. Like, yeah, absolutely. I also think that if McVitie's ever wanted to release a fragrance, then yeah. Chocolate Bloom. Chocolate is Bloom is a lovely, a phenomenal name. name. Do you want to be enrobed in chocolate? That was the other thing I liked about the email. Lots of really fun language that made me basically. So I bought a lot of biscuits <laughs> after I got this email address. Uh, after I got this email out. Um, yeah, so there you go. We've answered all the questions. And so there we are. I think basically that's that's it. That's solved. That's another Peter Investigates comes to a close. So um, stayinginpod at gmail.com. If you have yes. anything else that you want answered, it turns out I can get things answered. That's... Yeah. And and not just things, the important things. The important things. Yes. Yeah. You've actually, yeah, you've actually like, that is like, such a wonderful fact that you have actually managed to mine there that the chocolate is on the bottom. I will be boring people to tears with that forever for now. Every time. Every It's going to be insufferable. Yeah. Every time someone eats a digestive around Pete, now he's going to go, well... I'll say, well, I think I've actually got it from on pretty good, uh, pretty good knowledge from Bethany that uh, actually you're eating it upside down. Uh, so. <laughs> and uh, you're looking a bit like an idiot right now. You're looking a little you're bit like an idiot. Biscuits, um, like I think I might um, dob you into United Biscuits. So <laughs> dob you in. <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut. If United Biscuits are the Justice League of the Biscuits world, who's who's basically what's the like the anti-life equation? What who's you know who's the Suicide Squad? The Jaffa Cake. Hmm. The Jaffa cake, the Jaffa cake equation. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's just, and then the biscuits just crumble. <laughs> Genius. I, I went horse riding last week. Oh, did you? Yeah, first time in fourteen years. <laughs> and wow. um, I realised every time I've been horse riding. I've always found it quite uncomfortable, you know, in the old crotch area. In the gentleman's region. Yeah, yeah. when you when you yeah. start to trot or canter. So can you explain for those who may not have been on a horse? Obviously, I understand what a horse is yep. conceptually. <laughs> yeah. But where is the discomfort emanating from? So, um, so I, I had a lesson and essentially what happens is the, the horse begins to trot. So they're kind of they're kind of moving at a quicker pace 
which causes the rider okay. to move up and down quite quite mm. regularly. And are you not sitting on a comfortable? Uh, are those are those? Is it not a comfortable seat? A saddle. It, it, a saddle, Sam. A saddle. Yeah. You're not, <laughs> yeah. On, you're not, you're not sat on an armchair. Yeah. Now, I'd never had lessons. I'd done like, you know, trekking and stuff and things. So, and every horse I've ever been on has always wanted to eat constantly. So I'm always kind of <laughs> leaning forwards and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And Kindred spirit. Right, they, yeah. were, they were drawn to you then, Chris. But I had a lesson this time round, And one of the things the instructor got me to do is she got me to sit on the saddle and to have my arms out in front of me like outstretched in front of me and to trust that when the horse, you kind of feel it as it's kind of like trotting. Yeah. I can't explain it. It almost like forces you up in the air. So you kind of lean into that. And my problem was knowing how to land because I was just quite lazy. I was just going, I was just landing like really hard and like the the kind of the groin area was just, oh God, it was like. Did you have to hobble away? Is that basically, is that what you're saying? It was like castanets. Yeah, it was like, it just hit it so hard. And I realized I, I was I was actually, I assume that's what you did. That you just kind of land, you just land, you know, just, but actually you've got no. plenty of time. That actually, it's just about having, building up the leg strength to actually lower yourself. Yeah. Would there not be like and, a system where you'd wear like a cup type uh, implement? Yeah. I think, they, it, I think they just build up calluses around it. That's that. Yeah, that's not a nice image. That's really no. not a nice image. No, but um, the biggest issue they have is finding a hat that was big enough to fit my head. <laughs> Literally, they went. They were like, oh, "Try this one. Oh, really? That's strange. Try this one. Oh, okay." That's the one we've got on the horses. Hang on. Have you adjusted the strap? Oh gosh, you have. Yeah. It's- this is our comedically large one, so I don't know why it hasn't gone. <laughs> this on is here. for our mascot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they take it off the sign outside. And yeah, they they managed to find this dusty dusty old helmet that no one had worn in years, and just wedged it onto my head. And I didn't even need to do the strap up; it was just solid. So, what were you doing, Pete? I was uh, so I did tough mudder. Oh my word! <laughs> and can you explain what tough mudder is? Yeah, sure. So, um, tough mudder is a. Well, there's lots of different lengths of it but the, I did the five kilometer long uh, it's essentially kind of like an obstacle course um, so you get 10 or 12 different obstacles across five kilometers of you may not sort of like you know run or jog or you know crawl like I did um, throughout the whole thing and the whole point of it is uh, uh, tough because you know you have to be quite um, you don't have to be strong funnily enough you, you, but you have to kind of like tough it out because it is quite, it's okay. you know, quite intense. Um, and then mudder because you will get muddy. Uh, so there's, you know, this is one of those events where the before and after photos are always fantastic because beforehand you're all like, yay, this is going to be brilliant. And then at the end you're like, yay, this is really brilliant. But you're covered in mud. You're absolutely just caked in the stuff. What, what was good about your before and after pictures, though, were the before and after, pi- after pictures, in both pictures you have a pained look on your face. Yeah. So like you, you could have put that face like on either muddy or non-muddy body and you would believe, yeah, he's just yeah. he's yeah. just run yeah. this course. That, that, yeah, that captured yeah. the 5K he ran to the event to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so basically the idea is it's, you know, it's one of these sort of, um, it's a lot of corporate, you know, folks do it because 
you know, it's one of those things where it's like team building exercise or, you know, sure. some people do it as a, you know, they, they make a bit of a, a habit of doing them. So there are people who have done like 30, 40, 50 of these sorts of things. And 5K is like one of the smaller ones that you can do. You can go up to, I think, 15 kilometers, which is, I think, a half marathon. Um, and then, but the, 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 the running bit or, you know, the walking, the distance, uh, that's not the exciting bit. The exciting bit is, is the obstacles that you get. So um, they come with such titles as Arctic Enema, uh, which is where... Oh, is that a drink? Well, you wouldn't want to... Well, mm. uh, so basically what that one is, is uh, you climb up to the top of a, a slide, essentially. Then you slide into uh, freezing cold water. So there's ice cubes in the water. Uh, and then you have to, and so obviously it's quite shocking when you go in. So it's about seven foot deep. Um, and then you are like on the surface and then you have to duck underneath uh, and, and fully go under um, a, a big yeah. set of tires. So you have to basically hold your breath, go under and then come out the other end of it. And obviously it's extremely cold and come out the other side of it. That That's pretty intense. Um, there's a bit where you just get electrocuted. Oh, wh- wow. What's that what, one Just called? like a person on the side with a stick. <laughs> this doesn't feel legal. They just, put a ca- they, just, they just charge the water yeah. while yeah. you're in it. Yeah. So, uh, so that, yeah, basically they put these like electrified strings uh, up and you just have to run through them. Uh, and I don't know how. But I managed to miss every single one. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, sounds, sounds uh, illegal. What I'm curious about <laughs> is uh, uh, a, a few years back, we uh, we decided to do kind of to get ourselves fit. We decided to do like an exercise challenge, and we did like a challenge where we ha- all had to kind of exercise in terms of walking, running, cycling, kind of uh, like a length around the country between our houses and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. me, Sam, and Chris, we were we were all for it. We were gunning for it. Yeah. And, and admittedly. By the end of it, you had joined us in your naked cycling. Yeah. That's exactly what he did, naked cycling. Let's be fair. But for a long time, you were actually quite against it. You were kind of like, I'm not interested. I'm not doing it. I'm not really kind of playing ball. So what I want to know is how, what, what training did you do for this? Because this, this is kind of actual for an accomplishment. Mm. Like, is this mm. similar to kind of training you've done when we've climbed mountains or something? Or have you not trained for that either? I don't, I don't know. I'm a great believer in uh, the phrase lions don't stretch. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so, uh, so I did um, approximately nothing. That, that's even more impressive, Pete. Like I am genuinely impressed with you. Like genuinely. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, I've looked at Tough Mudder for years and I've always been like kind of intimidated by it just because of the cold water aspect. You, you honestly, honestly, you shouldn't be, don't, don't be put off by it. Like the, the 5k one is totally doable. Like I could do it it's you're you're knackered by the end of it like you you, you know you are really really tired but they put on a really good uh, um you spread know, event it's like going to a festival well they do yeah because there's they do funnily enough there are canapes throughout yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Ferrero Rocher <laughs> oh yeah thanks just electrified Ferrero Rocher one of them's yeah, got yeah, a yeah. rock in the middle yeah. that's not proud it's batteries well we've all been busy I went on holiday. I went on holiday to Wales, uh, and it was lovely. I, I completed a thousand year vampire, one of my secret Santas, after about a year and a half well done, of playing. Chris. It is well an done, amazing Chris. game. 
a lovely little solo journaling game. Really, really love playing I that. I can't wait to play that. Oh, and Sam, you forgot them. We did War Boys. War, War Boys. Boys. did do War Boys. War Boys 6. War Boys. War Boys 6. War Boys the 6th. Yeah. I said to Sam the night before, what time should I get there for? He said, uh, 9.30, is that too early? I said, no, it isn't. So I got there at 10. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good work. Never too early for War Boys. Go up in the loft the day before. Get all the get all the games down. We had a wonderful spread this year of uh, of stuff. Um but we only played three, which stretched out across a whole day, which actually was quite was quite intensive. Um so we played V Commandos, always a wonderful experience playing V Commandos. And that game we played one of the really, really chunky ones. I think that game went on for about four, three and a half, four yeah. hours. It's a, a co-op war game, which is kind of rare. So how it plays is you have you have these different scenarios and you create these different maps out of these uh, these tiles and then you pick your soldiers and me and Chris will go through great lengths to then name the soldiers. Obviously. Yep. Um, so we'll give them funny, fantastic names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you d- do you delve into your massive list of XCOM names? We, we certainly do. And sometimes we pick some returning heroes. So this time we had the Russell Hobbs was a returning... Uh, he came out retirement after completing one of the operations to to fight in this in this one um and then we play you you play like a campaign and everything's sometimes the rules are, are slightly different you've got these different things that you're going for and you're trying to basically infiltrate different german bases without alerting them to your presence yeah it's absolutely fantastic it's like this it's, it's like a co-op stealth game and it just goes from like zero to bonkers really quickly, which is why we all enjoy it. Like by the end of it, you've just got like tens and tens of German soldiers all closing in on your position. And you just got to try and find some some sort of way out. Um, that was lovely. Uh, Undaunted North Africa, which is um, <laughs> the Undaunted series is just exceptional. Um, Undaunted Normandy and North Africa and we've also got Undaunted Reinforcements which turns the game into a solo and co-op um, experience and North Africa was the first time it's the first time me and Chris have played North Africa oh so good and again you play it on like you create like these tiled environments and you Undaunted is a bit like a, a deck building game but also this like war game as well and so, so how it works is you have a deck which represents your which your units and you can like add to those units and take away from those units as you see fit in terms of like trying to build a deck around the current situation that you're playing in the more you scout the land that you're fighting in the more you have to add these fog of war cards into your deck which basically like fill it up with useless useless junk and then there's a wonderful mechanic where when you're actually doing like the fighty fighty stuff it's all like dice based and location um centered depending on how far away from different tiles are from different people and what their stats are but if you win that combat you essentially are taking cards out of your player's hand and out of the game entirely so you can like get rid of entire like you're like thinning down like a group of uh, machine gunners or thinning out a group of scouts so they can't so they can't fight in the army army for your opponent anymore 
and Undaunted North Africa is a slight sort of variation of that where it's a lot more vehicle based. So there's vehicles in it, there's tanks you can drive and one person is Italian forces and the other person is like a, a basically the SAS in the desert. And they are a lot more like sabotage focused and like actually sneaking in and damaging equipment and then getting out again. And one thing I've always loved about the Undaunted series is that every single card is personally named. So when you're taking a card out of your deck, like that is a name of a real soldier uh, who who fought in the war. So it becomes very, very personal and very, very individual very quickly. However, in Undaunted North Africa, like it took us a few rounds to notice, but all the cards are the same name. So you got the image very quickly that like you're in control of a very small squad of people rather than the big like army it was like more of a squad and you're like injuring that person each time until their injuries got too much and then they they're not in your deck anymore i.e dead um but no fantastic we we absolutely love that series and they're releasing a stalingrad version and a battle of britain version um soon i think the stalingrad's one's out in a couple of months i think um but battle of britain might be next year time recording i can think so yeah it's just one of those like the system is incredible it's tight it's just like streamlined so they just they're just able to apply it to any and all things but burying the lead slightly the headline event was chris's birthday present my 35th birthday present from you all thank you again for that um hogs of war the miniatures game okay Mm. Here we go. One of the reasons I want to talk about this comes from a comment from one of our listeners, John Embry, on Twitter, who, like mm-hmm. many people, was just amazed that this game exists and a lot of people don't realise this. I'm assuming everyone, if not most of you, have played the original Hogs of War video game back in 2000. Yeah, I don't think I did, but I, I definitely know of it. Yeah, so it, it, it's, it, you know, the, the PlayStation game, for those who don't know, it, it's a turn-based strategy game that's kind of tongue-in-cheek a bit like worms but on a three-dimensional kind of map that you're playing as where the different different nations are satirized and strangely all voiced by i think all voiced by rick mail the late great rick mail yeah and mm-hmm. you kind of just have to there's various different missions some of them are like capture the flag s kind of missions area control missions others are just wiping out the opposition really and Paul D. Allen and James Faulkner of Stone Sword Games have created a board game version of this game that was hasn't you know that existed twenty two years ago as a video game, and I think this was such a perfect gift that you all got me. I was super chuffed to bits, and you you got me a lovely little mug as well, Good. which uh, um, I love drinking out of occasionally, and and this does <laughs> a very very good job of capturing that 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 kind of nostalgia 20 years ago of playing the video game. Um, so you, it's one to four players. It's campaign booklets, similar to V Commandos and Undaunted. Campaigns each last roughly yeah. around 60 to 90 minutes, give or take, depending on players. And at its core, you have an army and you have to get the most victory points. And um, the board, you've got a big board made up of a series of hexes and you've got a modular kind of level that you kind of build, you know, different terrains there that can create difficulties for certain vehicles or certain infantry, say, for example, going around. Mm-hmm. And you get like 
a, you can just hand pick a squad of different types of infantry. You know, like for example, you can choose. You, you all have to have a grunt, which is the kind of the bog standard. But you can get engineers, medics, those into espionage, like snipers and heavy weapons people as well, uh, mm-hmm. including also tanks, planes, and an airship. It's a bit like as Pete. It's a bit like in Warhammer where you get like uh like the army. You know, the army value, mm. and essentially you can then you can each player gets to choose how they spend that that sort of figure on the sort of loadout that they would like for that game okay so it's it's quite nice one of the things i liked about it is it's quite nice that we could have different sort of like you went i went heavy into like you brought quite a lot of um tanks and things like that chris and i and i went a lot more sort of infantry based than than you did um which is one of the things i liked are there any like restrictions around what you like like for example you like in something like 40k it might be like well for every every one of these squads you have to take a troop choice for example so there are some restrictions and a lot of that comes around when these come out because what happens is is those are all primarily locked at the beginning of the game apart from the grunt because next to the board you have your own little board each player does which is your base and essentially at the beginning of every go you'll have the opportunity to build a building on that and it's this tetronimo kind of shaped building which is kind of like a little tetris puzzle and once you've built that you kind of unlock that infantry unit unit and there is a currency in the game as well called swill so you've just got to kind of balance that really can i afford to kind of you know send this tank out now and what's great about that it means then that you you're kind of slowly savoring it you're kind of building up your army, mm. starting from the grunts. It's not like all out straight away. Yep. So that that satisfaction of unlocking stuff is really, really cool. So when, by the time you get to mm-hmm. the end, you know, the game we played, Sam had a planes in the sky just swirling above me, attacking me from above. Um, and I was, you know, trying to fire a mortar at it from across the other end of the map. And what's really, really lovely is that under a lot of the infantry and the player titles, you've got little quotes and they're kind of quotes that have been lifted from the original game. And we started saying them, you know, as we before we roll the dice for combat, you go, oh, take that. That's a really crap example, but, um, you know, <laughs> roll. <laughs> um, oh, I've got some that cards classic here. Classic quote. Yeah, stellar writing. That. Um, yeah. But what makes this game superb is the upgrades where you can just slip a card underneath the relevant infantry type and think, oh, I want to pimp this up. So I gave, you know, I can, I've got them here. And this is like the Hogs of War game of old that I love. There's the Flamethrower, for example. Um, I, can, I can put a fire extinguisher in my tank, Molotov cocktails, bayonets, grenades, cluster grenades, precision bombs, um, the crazy gun, which sends the enemies crazy once I fire at them. Um, for example, the super shotgun. And just as I'm saying these words, I'm getting these flashbacks to the caravan in Wales as a child, me and my sister and brother on the PlayStation, passing the controller back and forth yeah. um, and just laughing with glee um, that we've used a jetpack to send a pig across the other end. And as I said, you've got dice and it's got a very simple mechanic. You look at, you look at your card, you calculate on the board how many hexes you are away from the other player. You look at the little table there and it says, okay, this is what dice you can roll based on that distance. Look at the terrain. Oh, they're in the woods. I can't roll a green die. I got a roll. I roll one less green die here, and it just goes. It goes like that. Mm. Um, I think it's fair to say, Sam, we're at the stage where 
I was getting rules wrong. It, it's it's quite intricate and a little bit fiddly in places still, akin to what it was like yeah. when I first played War of the Ring. But now I can play War of the Ring dead easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I think we both had an absolute blast of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think my main takeaway from it is exactly the same takeaway I had with Hogs of War when I played that when I was a kid. Like, because I remember playing it being a massive Rick Mail fan mm. and going, oh, there's this ace Rick Mail content on the PlayStation. I'm going to play that. And going, yeah. oh, look at these fun little piggies oh, shooting each other and oh, those funny voices. And then you get like an hour in, you're just like, oh my God, this is actually like, this has some strategic depth to it. Mm. There's a lot more going on to this game than just Rick Mail doing funny voices. And the miniatures game pulls off that um, same trick in a way where um, even after you've sort of digested all of this wealth of, you know, different cards and different like... um, uh, maps and tokens and different trackers to do different things. It's still on the face where it looks like, you know, a Hogs of War cartoonish game. Yeah. And then it just begins to unravel that like, it's, oh, there's real, you know, there's real strategy here. You know, I should be, you know, sending my bombardiers out to go and flank the snipers and go and take that M out. And I need to get my snipers up onto higher ground. I need to get my you know, um, airships in the air and, like, start claiming certain strategic points around the map. And, yeah, that's that's. I think that's what I really liked. And I think that the, um, the first game you play of, like, really any sort of game like this is always a bit of a tutorial experience in terms of actually learning how you should play it. Like, how fast should you move people? How strategic and how sort of what the tempo of the game actually needs to be to get success. So, yeah, it was a, a lot more strategically deep than I was expecting, but it made me really want to play it again. And if it wasn't for the amount of time it actually took to set up and tear down, I think we would have played it another time on on Warboy 6. But unfortunately, because I think... I, but I think that's just, you know, we're still learning it. And I'm sure over time... Chris, you'll find some way of streamlining. Yeah, that's a big goal for me. The unboxing to make it a bit more palatable. I think, I think I've seen the film of the year. Mm, bold, bold. I don't, I've not heard of that. Is that out? Is that out now? Or is that later on in the year? <laughs> you think you're so clever, don't you? Usually I get carried away and say things that I regret down the line. Like I kind of regret what I said about Miss Marvel now because it was a ended up being a, a so-so series, which is why I'm refusing. Well, actually, I'm just not watching She-Hulk. I watched the first episode and I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, it's average. And uh, but but um, yes, Chris and I went to go see Nope. And it is superb. And I've been marinating in its juices for nearly a week and I can't stop thinking about it. Okay. And for that reason, I think it deserves to be... Well, it's definitely in my top films of the year. I've already made a note of that. Um, but I can't see many things coming out this year that are going to top it. Right. 
I've seen this advertised on the side of a bus. Is this by the lad who did that horror movie? Which one? It is by the lad who did that horror movie, It yes. was very well received. Yeah, so this is Jordan Peele, uh, who did Get Out and then Us. Um, and for me, Jordan Peele, we've talked at length, Pete, about our upcoming podcast where we read through the synopsis of horror movies. Correct. And for me, the kind of... Because I just... Cause I just don't like horror movies, and I would I would class kind of at least these three films, three films by Jordan Peele. I would put that into that genre of of things that I don't really I don't like the tension of, but I love the films. I've seen films now. I've read them, and I see his films like the the best ones for reading the synopsis, like because mm. the synopsis is also great, and I get to enjoy all, all of that. And then if I want to, I can then watch the film. So like I haven't read actually the synopsis for for Nope yet, but I will. Um, please don't. Don't. No, please, no, no, that's please, how I like please, to enjoy please, it. Please, that's please, that's please, how I like please, to enjoy please, horror films. No, no, no. On, on, honestly, honestly, this... You would have said the same thing about Get Out. You would have said the same thing about Us. No, I, I wouldn't have necessarily because there there is something very, very particular about this film where the mystery is a large part of, of the experience. Really? Yeah. Like not knowing exactly what is going to happen or what this actually all is is part of that yeah exactly what he's trying to achieve with the film i think you would i think you would lose you you would enjoy it and go yeah that's a good film yeah that's a nice film yeah i really enjoyed it but what what always amazes me about jordan peele is is how he uses his film as a platform for something he wants to say or something that he really wants to use cinema four so he was he was talking about this film um on the empire podcast and they were like oh how did the film come about and he said i was just looking around and seeing what people weren't speaking about what are people not talking about and i used and that was his kind of like platform and his basis for them making a film was going how can i use my position as a oscar-winning film director to push a certain conversation important conversation forward into the into the sort of the ether into the sort of the media sphere as it were and i really you know commended that um his his approach to that sort of that sort of filmmaking like he the way he speaks about film is you know even though his films are very um well Nope isn't, which I think could be read as a bit of a criticism. But even though his his first two films especially are very sort of clear cut in terms of this is what these films are about, he's always very clear in saying, you know, this is a conversation we should be having and creating a film to kind of spark that that conversation. So I feel like knowing exactly what happens in you know, for every single bit of the film kind of dilutes a little bit of like his mission as a film director. Well, now you're making me feel guilty about it. (laughs) I mean, they're essays as much as films. Like he is an auteur. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons I enjoyed it was because I only saw, I think I saw the teaser trailer. I never saw the final trailer. So Mm -hmm. I literally went in probably like you, Sam, knowing little to nothing about this film what it was at all so here's here's my question uh here's a conversation we should be having 
Do you think the sort of people who are going to go and because ha- obviously I don't know, I've not watched this thing, but do you think the sort of people who are going to go and watch this movie don't know that this is a conversation that they should be having? Or is it a case of this is a person who is preaching to the choir? Because, like, for example, arguably, you could look at something like Jurassic Park and Michael Crichton's whole point was he was talking in the in the novel about science going wild and, like, the dangers of science, right? Mm-hmm. And, like... Yeah, playing God. Playing God. And, you know, the movie is obviously, you know, it's absolutely, like, pushing slightly further away from that. But there is still some stuff in there that is is a little bit about, like, what is our role? Like, are we actually allowed to be doing this? Should we really allow ourselves to do some of this sort of stuff? You know, that kind of stuff. And it's it's that's that's where a conversation begins, right? Like, there's a conversation where you're yeah. talking to an audience that maybe isn't going into it thinking of that, but then later on they think, oh, actually, is there, some, is there something more to this, right? Um, with this Nope movie, is this a conversation that the people who are actively going to seek this movie out... Are they going to think to themselves, oh my goodness, I had no idea we needed to talk about this? Um, it's. I think it's difficult to say with this film because, as mentioned previously, the the subtext of it is a lot more ambiguous and multi-layered than any of his previous two films. Okay. So Get Out was very clearly a film about um, racism and possession okay. um, and sort of objectifying someone based upon upon their race. Us was, again, using the frame of racism to talk about social inequality and um, society in general. Whereas this film, it it's... And this is the reason why I think I like it so much is that what it's actually trying to examine is so multi-layered and multifaceted that it's very difficult to come out having feeling like you've had a clear conversation with the film and its director, Mm. um, which I think some people will see it as a criticism, but I quite liked it. So this is a film which discusses things like um, spectacle mm. and human nature and the pursuit of perfection and loss and grief and exploitation and probably a myri- myriad of other things that I've yet to digest. Right. And it kind of does it all in this... I don't think I'd even call it a horror film. I'd just call it a thriller yeah. because... I'm hesitant to say really anything about it, mm. but there is no. It. It's just. <laughs> uh, I'm struggling here, Chris. But like, I, I feel what I'm just saying is like you just leave the movie going. That feels like a really important piece of work, and it feels like a really strong voice is trying to tell me something, but it's just left lots of things on the table. And now it's up to me to kind of digest those things and try and interpret them in some way that has a that makes sort of sense to me and what actually resonates with me. So, you know, I was like thinking about it and, you know, as we came out, Chris was just like, oh, this bit was incredible and that meant this to me. And I was like, oh, it didn't really mean this to me. Actually, this is the way I interpreted it. And usually you can kind of fight on those hills and go, 
and go, well, no, this is actually what the director meant. Because if you look at everything in the whole, like this is where it's going to. Mm. But that for somehow he's made this really meticulously designed film that is able just to hold all these different themes and threads together in this one sort of solid construction, which it just feels, you know, incredible to talk about and um, try and um, dissect. Yeah. Is this the equivalent of a, uh, 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 like, is this the equivalent of a thought experiment whereby it's Mm -hmm. not really making a decision on something? It's more just saying, think about this. All right, bye. And leaving you with it. (laughs) I think there is a bit of that. Yes, I think because like after I watched Nope, I could then actually start looking out for it on the internet. Whereas like months preceding that, I've been actively Mm. avoiding it. And it's amazing if you type Nope into YouTube, it is just awash with people trying to explain this was the meaning behind this. Oh, the ending revealed. And and people are puzzling it out. And I love those sorts of films. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in seeking out the right answer because as Sam said, this is a subjective experience. But I like the idea of looking for it still. And it means every time I watch Nope, um, I am going to see something different in it. And it's really, really interesting that a lot of the criticism, because some people have criticised this film, has often been has been levied generally at the pace and some of the acting. Mm. Nothing really about the ideas I can see, which is really interesting. So either this is just kind of washed over people's heads or they aren't really comfortable or interested in addressing the ideas that are at the core of this. Yeah. And one one of the critic, critics um, is a figure who, ironically, perhaps without their realising, is actually part of the culture that is yeah. being critiqued within this film. Not explicitly, mm. but yeah. It, 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 so irony is kind of rearing itself in the criticism surrounding this film quite a lot, really. A few podcasts ago, Mm. I mentioned a game called Sagrada. Can't remember the number of the podcast. It was Um, episode 148, Sam. (laughs) God's sake. All right, okay, cheers. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Our own little library. (laughs) And uh, this is a game that me and Chris played at Aircon, and we had a little, little demo experience, and we both sort of said, went away going... Oh yeah, that's a that's a lovely little dice drafting game where you're making a making a stained glass window on inside the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona in, in Spain. Isn't that lovely? And um that was it. That was I thought that would be the ending of my relationship with Sagrada, but no. Since then, every single day I've been playing Sagrada on my mobile phone and doing a little daily challenge, which turns out is exactly the way that I interact with mobile phone games yeah. is if you give me a little daily challenge, I'm there. Yep. Um, so I do my little not words daily mini every every morning. Dan and I have framed. Yeah, you you and Dan have you and Dan have framed, which is which is lovely. And I do my Sagrada as well. So I thought I'd reach out to Floodgate Games and go, we really, we, <laughs> I really really enjoy this game. Would you kindly send us a copy so we can share it? with our audience play it a bit more and see if it actually is as good as I think it might be. Mm-hmm. They were like, yeah, sure. 
we'd love to. So they sent me a copy of Sagrada. Thank you very much for Floodgate Games. Very kind very of kind. you. And I can concur that it is absolutely um, stunning. It's an incredible production and um, I absolutely love it, love it, love it as a game. And my wife loves it too. And it's become our sort of like little two-player game that we now play play with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another game I want to talk about. So I don't really... I'm not going to talk about Sagrada that much, mainly because it is so great and it has been around for quite a while. So I think it celebrated its fifth anniversary, I want to say. Mm. To explain it quite briefly is you are creating a stained glass window. So you roll these dice, these different coloured dice, which look absolutely beautiful. And then you pick a dice and you have to put it into your little window frame that you have. And everyone has these... Um, personalized window frames where you have to get a a little sheet of paper and you slide it in to this um, wonderful stained glass tableau representing uh, a window of the cathedral. So everyone has their own little individual puzzle that they're playing with and the rules are quite simple. It's no two colours can go next to each other orthogonally and no two numbers can go next to each other orthogonally. And then you've got to basically... Drafting dice, so you pick a dice, then the other people around the table pick dice, and then you pick another dice. And you've just got to basically build your window according to those two rules. And then each game has a different set of objectives that you'll be going towards because the objectives are dealt out at random. So it would be like uh, you get five points if you can create a row that has no repeating colours, or you'll get four points if you create a column that has no repeating numbers in it. Right. Um, so on and so forth and it's just one of those exceptional little puzzles that slowly starts out thinking oh this is well easy this is and then by the fifth or sixth turn you're just like oh my god right if I put this here it's really going to mess up if I put but then if I yeah but but if I can just put that choose that number there and then move that there and then it just becomes an absolute like yeah you know um a joyous experience in sort of a, a wonderful little puzzle that you're creating yourself. I think the trick that it does really well is by balancing diff- balancing difficulty level. So at the start of the game, each player gets handed a different collection of random sheets and they each have a variance in terms of difficulty. Mm-hmm. So if you're really experienced with it, you can go for a high difficulty and people just learning the game can go for a very low difficulty, which means that everyone around the table is having a balanced and fair experience with the game, which I think is a, a, a really valuable thing that it, that it that pulls off. But yeah, if you like dice games, if you like puzzle games, Sagrada is, is, is tops. I heard a lovely story that came out of the Gen Con in America where there was this gamer who had been recovering in hospital and they discovered Sagrada and they played like 999 games of it, I think. Wow. And they they, they went yeah. to Gen Con to play the 1,000th game of Sagrada with the designer. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, my God. Which I think is just a lovely little thing, isn't it? And, and it? and it is that lovely game where you are kind of interacting with each other as players, but if you for a, for, for a player who's not comfortable with anything that feels take that, where you're playing against other people, it's a perfect game, I think. It's, that, it's kind of a bit like Quicks, isn't it, in that regard? 
and and the other thing that I'd say, you know, it is a game you can play a thousand times because every game is different every single time because the objectives always change. The different things that you can use as like powers to like help you manipulate some of the dice that you're that you're choosing always changes. So it's it's a constantly sort of evolving experience and every day is a new puzzle. You know, in the same way that people do the New York Times crossword every day or not words, like Sagrada is that constant challenge and it's always going to be just as much of a challenge every time you play it. However, one of the other games they shoved in that box alongside Sagrada is what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's very apposite to people like Chris and people like Pete who've just moved into their brand new homes. Mm. And I bet very soon we'll start decorating their new homes. And this is a game called Decorum. Okay. And there's not much I need to say about this game other than it's designed by Charlie Mackin, Harry Mackin and Drew Tenenbaum um, with art by incredible art by the uh, combo creative and Michael Mateko. But the the subheading to this game describes it absolutely perfectly, better than I could even hope to describe it. It's called Decorum, a game of passive aggressive cohabitation. Okay. Would you like to know more? I yes. would. Mm. So here's how Decorum works, right? It's a cooperative game. You're all playing together. You all sit down and you're presented with a house, which looks a little bit like, UK listeners, the Finder's Keeper's House. You know that show that Neil Buchanan used to host? That is a deep (laughs) cut. cut. So it's like someone sliced through, I guess, you know, a boring person would say, a doll's house. Um, It's like someone's taken a cross section of a house so you can see the bathroom, the bedroom, the living room and the kitchen. And each room in the house has... um, Spaces available to accommodate one of three things, either a wall hanging, a lamp, or a curio, which is like, you know, those things that you have in your house which don't really do anything but make it look a little bit prettier and interesting. You know, like a... We've got one. We Like, there's something up there on the... Which is just a, a cork star. Doesn't do anything, but... It yeah, doesn't but do anything. Watched, um, but you watched, like, you know, a home decoration thing once and you went, I'll have that. Cork star. Cork stars are in. Quick! Come quick! The stars are in! Quick! <laughs> it's, it's happened! I, pre- I knew it would happen! Get the cork stars in! <laughs> and then <laughs> each, of those, each of those three things will be one of four different styles. So it's like antique, modern, retro, or unusual, or, or curious, or something like that. That's the setup of the game. And then... You delve into the box, and if you're playing a three or four player game, you pick an envelope at random. You choose a difficulty, and you pick an envelope at random, and hand these cards out to each of the players around the table. On that card, lists basically they're called objectives, but they're things that you would really, really like to have the house. These are things that you would love the house to be decorated in a certain way and there's a and there's a red line for this if the, the house is not decorated in this specific way you are leaving you are out you do not want to live in this house uh, with these people anymore <laughs> so it could be like something for example all the upstairs rooms have to be painted red there can be no blue lamps in the downstairs room or you know the walls the, the color of the walls and the wall hangings have to be a different color or a different 
style, something like that. It's like living my mum. And the game is meticulously designed. I've realised I said meticulous quite a lot on this episode. Mm. But the game is so well designed that everyone's objectives, everyone's desires for the house will match an hour and are um, compatible but you're never allowed to share what your actual desires are for the house. So what happens with the game is on your turn, you can either remove a piece from the house, you can either put a new piece in, or you can swap out, say, a lamp for a lamp of a different style. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done that, you ask around the table or you just invite thoughts from people about how that makes them feel and the amount of passive aggression that starts just like brewing up from the center of the table is like you replace their retro lamp with an antique lamp and you just hear everyone going oh no okay but you but you also start using language like yeah that fits into my vision (laughs) 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 yeah and it's Uh. and so if you think about games like um cryptid what what did you say chris i said cryptid which i think we talked about in episode 70 yeah (laughs) so if you talk about like games like um yeah like cryptid or even something like the mind where you're trying to have this you're having this shared experience in secret Mm. but it's all about decorating a house and you can't um really share exactly why that thing makes you feel bad and you're not really being honest with a person by saying no i just don't want it in the living room just like i really don't no it really doesn't it's not really compatible with what with what i like maybe maybe we'll try something else later down the line um but then you're also trying to decipher what they are what their aspirations are because you know that they're all compatible and you know you'll be able to have the things that you like if if you can just work out the things that they really want so the game sort of proceeds round after round and fortunately there's these things called house meetings if you're playing a three or four player game where you're allowed to share an objective with someone else around the table so you're actually able to it's almost like right we've got to we've got to sort this out this house is an absolute mess we've been living in it for weeks and i really want the bathroom to be blue i'm just saying it i really want the bathroom to be blue so you're able to share that with someone and they're able to you know make sure that they're not changing you know the wall color in the bathroom and it is a you know me chris and our respective partners played this together and it was one of those gaming experiences where we really felt like it was completely off the rails we had no control of it it was chaos we were like i just can't it didn't help that i smashed one of my favorite beer glasses halfway through playing what color did they want to paint the bathroom for you to smash your glass <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm really unhappy with this i didn't want but, green like, it was it was so telling dan and pete watching sam and lisa interact I thought, this must be like when they actually go house shopping together. Like, <laughs> oh, Lise, Lise, what about this? What about this? In the, the, uh, yeah. This is what they're like in home base. That's, we'll come back to that, shall we? If we get time on the way back to the car, we'll come back to this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I love about the game is it can perfectly encapsulates that, that Britishness of just not being completely honest, even with the person that you love the yeah. most, because you don't really want to tell them that the thing that 
day one is absolute trash and it's not welcome in your house at all but you've just been quite nice so yeah so we, so we were playing it and it just felt like it was like we're never how are we gonna how are we gonna solve this like how are we gonna actually route through what what each person is actually going it, it feels like a game that should not work but we got to the end and when it actually came to revealing your um objectives we got so close like so close to actually like being compatible and making this house work for everyone and it's quite nice at the end if you don't reach fulfillment as uh, the game as the game states so yeah so if you complete all your objectives you can just sit back and go i am fulfilled right now <laughs> and everyone else just looks at the house going what in earth of this mess is sam happy about um but yeah so we went through all the objectives and it was like it was only like a couple of things that we were kind of missing um but and then it was quite nice like then like game it out and just go oh all we needed to do was just swap this for this and move that to that and we would have had it but 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 this game is a two-player game and even though I had loads and loads of fun as a four and a three player, I think it really, really shines when you're playing with a friend or with a loved one or a colleague or someone you actually know really, really well. I think it just shines when it boils down to that, to simulating that real experience of sharing a home with someone and trying to put your own stamp on it but also being sensitive to um their needs and how they how what makes them feel comfortable and what makes them feel feel happy to to share a space with, with someone else and i've played it you know three or four times now with my wife and we absolutely are we are loving it and it and it really tells that the design kind of was there for two players in mind because instead of like picking a scenario at random and choosing a difficulty that you want to go for it's actual it's actual like a it's built like a legacy game it's built like a progressive series of scenarios that you're meant to work through from front to back and you you know you work your way through through these envelopes and each envelope you're playing a different character and you're you have to like read a little scenario out saying just like Darcy's just come into the big city and he's met Buster and they're moving in together. <laughs> What's gonna happen? And like you read like little like um sort of introductions about character that might give you a sort of like hint about what they might want and what they might love in the house. So I think that yeah, it's it's one of those group games that that is that is bonkers it's off the rails and and it and it kind of just works i think if it's if it's a if it's a gaming group that you know really well and uh, you know play it week after week after week i think it could really shine but where i where it actually excels is as a two player focused experience All I'm going to be thinking about till we next speak is what's going to be the next chapter Peter Willington investigate. Yeah. Stayinginpod at gmail.com. But the problem we have now is is that kind of that upward curve now of impressiveness of both yeah. uh, 
kind of correspondence sent and correspondence received. So we now have to outdo right. the McVitties. No pressure. Right. Okay, yeah, but there is a limit, yes. Dan, to my powers. I mean, when I say investigates, I don't mean like Enron. I mean, like, you know... <laughs> is there a person he can email? Yeah, I mean, how do they get the salt to stick on the crisps? <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> right, we've, we've... I think we've already found Pete's limit is DEFRA. Yeah. So, intergovernment departments... Probably uh, not. No, 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 yeah. no. UK-based biscuit companies. Go, go, go. I mean, my biggest mystery recently was when we were driving through uh, Wales uh, and we were using a sat-nav to kind of navigate to get to the place we were staying. I noticed there was quite a lot of unnamed roads. And I was like, how does a road get named? Mm. And I was thinking... I see where this is going. How does a road get named? Me... A road named after me? <laughs> me, you say? Oh, well, don't mind if I do. Welcome to the Sam Turner Road. Yeah, but it'd be, it'd be like... Or the staying it'd, in it'd Crescent. Be like Sam Turner's Alley or something. <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is a Turner Street in Manchester. I've got a whole county. I mean, there, there is a village near me called Willington. Yeah, there's multiple ones. There's multiple Willingtons. Yeah, suppose, my, supposedly my, uh, we used to, my family used to actually own... One or some of those. But my, my, my grandfather did some research into my genealogy and apparently like, and into my family tree. And apparently like, he seems to reckon we came over in 1066, got given a village or two and then committed treason. <laughs> like, All on the same day. Bloody yeah, hell. So now, I mean, I, I don't know how true that is, but, no. but I'm willing to believe it. And I'm also willing to accept it as, the truth without questioning it further. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a bit bonkers. Like, if you came over in 1066, there's probably a big thing that happened there where... <laughs> where eclipse you... that. Yeah. So to commit treason after that strikes strangely yeah. odd. To go, yeah, I'm following this person into battle and going over to this country I don't understand. And then you got there and just like, oh, actually, no, I don't really like it here. <laughs> no. I'm going to stab that guy <laughs> in the back. <laughs> I mean, that is that is... Yeah. That is doubling down, yeah. isn't it? I have to say this this ending has gone a little bit off the rails a little bit. No, it hasn't. It's perfect. It's yeah, it's it's a perfect way to end the podcast, which is what we are doing. Uh Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> we're on them. <laughs> we're on them. You can find us staying in pod is <laughs> most of those things. If you want to send us uh, a message or if you want to send me a question to go and investigate, uh stayingpod at gmail.com. As always, tell a pal about this if you get a chance. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. That's literally the only way more people find out about this. Well, tell two pals. Tell tell two pals. Tell three if you're feeling if you're feeling spicy. The, the next time you're the group of people, just shout it out, and like eventually someone will kind of pay attention. Uh, thanks to Floodgate Games for being so supportive and sending us some lovely um, lovely games to share with you. Thank you to Bethany of United Biscuits. We stand united. Hopefully, after this podcast, now promoted to the level of owner of the entire United Biscuits, all of them, uh, for the sterling work yep. that they did. And that's about it. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.